0: To the rob burgess show i am of course your host rob burgess on this our 99th episode our returning guest is sarah kenziner you first heard sarah kenziner on episodes 70 80 and 89. sarah kenziner is uh, well you know who sarah kenziner is by now don't you she is a st louis-based journalist and expert on authoritarian states one quick programming note before we begin At 2.58 p.m. Tuesday, the New York Times announced the latest addition to their editorial board, Quinn Norton. Sarah and I started recording this episode at about 8 p.m. At 10.18 p.m., the following was posted to the New York Times Communications' Twitter page, where Quinn's hiring had been first announced just hours before. The following is attributable to James Bennett, editorial page editor, the New York Times. Despite our review of Quinn Norton's work and our conversations with her previous employers, this was new information to us. Based on that, we've decided to go our separate ways. And now onto the show. Hello?
1: Hello? Hey, Sarah. Wrong.
0: Hey. Hey, thanks for uh, thanks for calling, and thanks for making time for me tonight.
1: Oh, no problem.
0: Yeah. Uh, sorry, I called twice, and some guy named Jason answered both times. I swear I dialed it right. And my,
1: on my number?
0: Yeah. I swear I dialed Ooh, the number right. I don't know. Super,
1: n- yeah, I mean, if your text came through, then I don't know... <laughs> Why a phone
0: call wouldn't? That kind of freaks me out. I've had weird shit going on. In my phone. Uh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, par for the course. So uh, yeah. Yeah. So uh, I'm glad to have you back on. Uh, I want to I want to try something new. I feel like we've uh, we've we've gone so many depressing routes in our in our previous uh, <laughs> conversation. Actually, I'm I'm sure we'll get there eventually. But you know, I want to start with uh, some good news. Uh, of course, the uh, the women's march uh, came back for a second year. It was bigger than the first time. Uh, that that made me feel good, even though it didn't get the uh, coverage of the first um, right. necessarily. Um, but uh, you know, also another thing I thought was was good news is I saw that um, you know Pennsylvania has uh, switched to paper ballots, or at least has a paper backup um, for their uh, going into 2018 uh, elections this year. And you know, I feel like that's so important, and I feel like people just need to de- demand that everywhere. I don't I don't see why that's not in all 50 states. So
1: yeah, now those are just definitely- definitely two good things. Um, I'm glad you brought them up, because I'm looking at the rest of the news like, holy shit. But yeah, um, (laughs) the Women's March was great. I'm not sure it was bigger than the first time, but I know that those two were still, I think, um, the biggest marches, basically, in in U.S. history, and certainly in recent U.S. history. Uh, It's a shame it didn't get more coverage, um, but I think that that shows that there's a lot of activism going on on the ground um, in a grassroots way, in a way that's not necessarily covered or seen, um, but we see the effect of it, of course, in the polls. You know, we saw it in the elections in Virginia and in Alabama. Um, And, you know, I I think that that's just a more outward indicator of something already there. And, yeah, with Pennsylvania, I mean, we've had kind of a, you know, a lot of mixed news about um, voting and the fairness of voting. You know, we had many admissions recently from the administration that Russia is going to interfere and they're not planning to do anything about it. Um, but on the other hand, we do have these moves uh, against gerrymandering and, um, you know, and for paper ballots and for more uh, transparency and unhackable voting processes. And yeah, you know, absolutely, they should be doing paper ballots in every state, especially given that they've admitted that, uh, you know, Russia is planning to interfere in our election, uh, which I don't just take as Russia's gonna make some propaganda. I I think that, you know, given their track record of hacking. Picture. we should be prepared for you know a hack of the voter rolls for example um, so yeah hopefully they'll you know states will at least maybe uh, take the power into their own hands because on a federal level I I don't have high expectations
0: no absolutely not and there's no reason for for you know Trump to address that because it wouldn't be to help other than him uh, you know in this in this case at least you know I don't I don't know why the Republican Party is so sanguine about it though because I feel like they're playing a very dangerous game where this you know benefits them now, but it doesn't mean it will always benefit to them you know in the future if they keep this up. So but.
1: yeah, yeah. I mean that's what I've been saying all along that this is you know short term thinking. Initially, I really thought the Republicans that were going along with Trump were driven more by careerism and opportunism, uh, which is obviously short term gain when you're turning into a kleptocracy. Uh, you know where the majority of wealth is held by this tiny elite that has to show constant fealty to the ruler, um, you know, which is basically the direction that we're headed. Like, that doesn't work out well for your average Republican. Um, I'm not sure that they're completely aware of that. You know, they are still uh, acting afraid. Um, I was kind of hoping that just, the you know, kind of analyzing the gains and losses of the situation would push them in the right direction, but I still have the sense that something else is kind of uh, holding them back, the ones who may want to break free of the Trump spell and, uh, you To move against them, I think they still feel constrained.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, and, and you brought up something uh, a couple weeks ago that I, I'm definitely glad that you alluded to there uh, with uh, Lindsey Graham, for example, who, you know, I, I was never the hugest fan of, but he was showing some signs of, of showing uh, some backbone and a little bit of uh, sparks of, of some kind of recognition that this is a problem. And then it seems like he went golfing with Trump and that just all evaporated. And he's just the most sycophantic lickspittle uh, this side of Mike Pence. So it's like, I, I, I what I mean you uh, theorized and, and probably not too uh, you know out <laughs> out there that he may maybe somebody you know they did hack uh, his email right I mean his his uh, his email was hacked oh, like everyone else's. Oh, that's not a theory. Like oh, yeah.
1: Graham said so. Like right. he, he came out right after the election and said his email had been hacked, like his individual email um, and the RNC email. Um, and so yeah, you know I do think it's possible that that plays a role in some of the behavior that we're seeing from Republicans. Um, But I also think, you know, in addition to the possibility of blackmail, there's also just the the simple matter of threats um, and the fact that Trump and his uh, backers for his entire career have spent their lives threatening people until they get what they want. You know, these are very mafia-style tactics. You know, sometimes people bring up Putin and Russia and say, oh, you know, this is in the vein of Putin, which, of course, is true. uh, But I don't think that Trump needed inspiration, because that's just how he operated on his own, um, going back to the days with Roy Cohn. So I think that that's possibly something that's happening with Graham and other Republicans. Uh, oftentimes when a person can't get what they want with an individual, they go after their loved ones, they go after their families. I've wondered if that's going on. Um, and there's also some financial improprieties with the GOP uh, and their money. Um, you know, we have the Steve Wynn situation, which is its own thing. You know, they've, they've got shady donors, um, and they also have shady foreign donors. Uh, they have a number of oligarchs who were giving campaign contributions in fairly large amounts, and one of the recipients of this, uh, that contribution was Lindsey Graham. So. That's another possibility. Uh, but it is very disappointing. You know, he and uh, McCain were the two who kind of inaugurated the Russian interference investigation, uh, basically even before Democrats did. Um, you know, at least in terms of, of what people did after the election beforehand. I think Harry Reid was the, more, the most vocal. Uh, and, yeah, you know, McCain is relatively quiet. And Graham has done such a conspicuous 180 that, you know, it seems almost symbolic. I mean, he literally just reverses his words. You know, he's like, Trump is a kook. And then, you know, some people are saying that Trump is a kook. And that's crazy. Like, it's if he wants you to notice. it. Uh, I'm not sure I want to give him that much credit. Uh, but it is, you know, it's, it's interesting and it's alarming to watch.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely, for sure. And then it seems like, like, the only people that are speaking out, uh, like Jeff Flake, you know, for example, they're not, you know, they're they're, they're retiring. They're, they're leaving the fight. You know, these are the people that, you know, are showing some kind of at least rhetorical backbone. But they aren't, you know, they aren't sticking around at all. So it's like the people that are going to be there. Uh, I don't see much uh, in the way of uh, resistance from in, inside of uh, Trump's party. It seems like he's basically remade them into their his own image, basically.
1: So, yeah, I think that's what's happened, and you're seeing a record number of Republicans stepping down. Which again, I think ties into fear. I think that some Republicans are very worried about what they've got caught up in. Um, you know, maybe they thought they'd be getting some kind of benefit out of this. Situation, and then realize they're in over their heads and are just trying to extract themselves from it. Um, I think that might be the case with Paul Ryan or Jason Chavez, um, and maybe with Flake. Although at least he's speaking out in some kind of fashion. But yeah, it doesn't have like a lot of you know teeth behind it when you know that that person's not going to be there to actually stand up to Trump to his face to actually represent you. Um, and so you know, it's a it's a bad situation. He has uh, remade the party in his image. Uh, they have. Cause to him, I would think it's humiliating for for them because he insults not just them, but you know, wives and families and careers and you know, I mean, what an embarrassing person <laughs> to have to worship, you know? Like there's there's no redeeming qualities. It's not like he's some great charismatic, brilliant leader. I mean, he's just this absolute you know D list loser, and they all have to bow down to him. Um, but that again, I think, speaks to the culture of fear uh, that the Republicans seems to be living in.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and and we saw that you know with the Alabama Senate race when you know I just saw the Republicans give up every you know family values quote unquote uh, you know a tenant that they ever thought said that they had just to you know throw their weight behind this uh, basically child molester and you know somebody that you know I think if, if that he is he had a D next to his name. Uh, they would excoriate uh, through and through. At least that's how what I was always told. You know, growing up, that you know, we don't. Oh, you know, you know we, we, what what about the children? What do we, what do we tell the children? It's like uh, I don't know. Sometimes you got to date a kid, right? <laughs> so I mean.
1: yeah. No, that that was frightening. I mean, these sort of shifts we're seeing, um, you know, where just things that were just I think five years ago, ten years ago, just so off the radar uh, in terms of being part of mainstream opinion that you wouldn't have even worried about it happening. Like, you know, we're celebrating child molesters running for Senate, or, you know, we have Nazis getting uh, puff pieces written about them in the New York Times. Like, those are, that was not like a future that people envisioned. And I think that, um, you know, in part because of the Internet, because I think that sort of pushed the boundaries of, you know, uh, regular discourse and civility and whatnot, of course you're going to see an, an increase in extremist sentiment, um, and we saw that for the last few years. But what we're seeing now is these kind of establishment brands being really willing uh, to, you know, hook up uh, with the most just disgusting and, uh, you know, destructive opinions, you know, with Nazis, with pedophiles, child molesters, they're willing to, like, hitch their brand to that wagon. And that's really disturbing to me, because that to me says they don't think there'll be consequences um, Mm -hmm. from their audience. And it's weird, because I really think there are consequences. I mean, you know, there's a reason Roy Moore's not in the Senate; and Mm -hmm. Doug Jones is. There's a real consequence to that. That was not what people in Alabama wanted. And, you know, You also see the kind of pushback um, when papers like the Times are promoting Nazis. You see people saying, "No, I I don't want Nazis. Like I'm against them. Like you know, I would say the majority of Americans, as bad as things are right now, are still against actual Nazis. Uh, But that stuff it it just keeps getting pushed down our throats, Um, and that's weird to me. I kind of wonder, you know, what's behind it. Like who's who's driving these these stories and this sort of way of portraying really inhumane and horrible things uh, as if they're everyday normal occurrences. Right. And,
0: well, and uh, right next door in Illinois, we have a literal Nazi running under the Republican ticket uh, in, you know, was it a house race or something in, coming yeah, this
1: year's? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like people, you know, and that's another consequence of this, is that they feel emboldened. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, last week I was at uh, University of Tennessee in Knoxville and Matthew Heimbach, who's a you know, an actual Nazi, like a national socialist, he calls yep. himself that, um, Um, doesn't hold back. He is coming there. Uh, He arranged to be there under fake pretenses. He impersonated a local church in order to reserve space. And, Mm. you know, the university uh, is not standing up to him effectively. You know, they're condemning him. They're writing these sort of, you know, wishy-washy racism is wrong, but, you know, the answer to free speech is more speech. And meanwhile, you know, students are terrified. They're terrified of Charlottesville because someone actually died. And when you know, the Nazis come. Like, people don't seem to grasp there's a difference here. This isn't just somebody whose speech you don't like. You know, this is someone who might actually kill you if you're not white or if you're not Christian or if you don't fit into their world. These are people who promote ethnic genocide and will take the opportunity to carry it out. And so I think there's just such an enormous difference. And I don't know if people just don't want to accept what's right in front of them, even when it's plainly stated because it's just so horrific, and then you're forced to confront it. Or what? But um, you know, I'm hoping that the chancellor at um, Knoxville is a little more stalwart and just says, "Hey, no, like you can't come. You tried to come here under a lie anyway, so you know they got a, a great excuse to kick them out right there mm-hmm. and just draw the line. You know, just right. draw a firm line. They can talk on the internet. They can talk somewhere else. They don't need to talk at every school.
0: Sure. And you know, I, I believe in the you know free speech and and First Amendment as much as anybody. But you know, the the difference here is that when Nazis and fascists get into power. They, they close all the doors behind them and there's no more free speech for anybody if they get their way so I think that's a little bit of a difference from them and any other group that you want to hear them out you know so I, I think there's right. a difference
1: and, and, the, and that's the thing is like people act like they're this poor beleaguered minority it's like they're supported by the government you know that's pretty unusual like that's really never happened where we've had a president wit- you know witness a Nazi rally and be like yeah you know both sides um, and you know of course there's people like Stephen Miller, you know, in the administration, Bannon was previously and there. They're Nazi sympathizers, so they have the backing of the state uh, behind them, and they have, you know, ICEs completely out of control in terms of deportations and harassment of immigrants. They have people that are able to carry out uh, these very Nazi-esque, you know, policies in practice, so that kind of speech has, you know, much more vigor to it than it would under any administration, whether Obama or Bush. Like, it doesn't matter if you're Democrat, or Republican, like we're in new terrain. And I wish that people understood that. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, you kind of uh, alluded to this uh, with what you were saying before, but, uh, it, you know, the New York Times is, is at it again. Um, you know, I don't know what, I mean, we talked about the Nazi next door profile last time, of course, but, you know, the, it seems like the opinion section is uh, kind of gone off the rails uh, in the last couple of weeks here. I mean, we got uh, this Barry Weiss person who I wasn't familiar with before uh, saying, you know, what was, what was she saying? About the California border. She's
1: an immigrant. Yeah. She's not <laughs> white. And then, you know, she tried to kind of walk that one back a little bit or just say that it meant something different than what she wrote. Um, you know, and I was thinking, you know, that, that, that's pretty bad, but honestly, compared to them hiring Quinn Norton, uh, yeah, this is another thing that's uh,
0: developed in the last few hours that I wasn't, again, I wasn't aware of this person. I'm just getting to know them, (laughs) but oh my
1: goodness. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, she's, you know, a proud, Friend of Nazis, a supporter of white nationalism, and you know, like, I got a lot of shit a, a couple of weeks ago because, uh, the New York Times had written an article praising Stephen Miller, and they published it on Holocaust uh, Memorial Day. And a lot of people were very upset about that, because, you know, it's very pointed. Uh, and a friend of mine who is descended, um, you know, from family, you know, she had family who was Killed in the Holocaust, was upset, and she tweeted about it and was basically like, you know, fuck the New York Times. And I wrote back and I said, I agreed. And I said, you know, they're putting out a white supremacist ideology. It doesn't necessarily mean that everybody in the paper shares it, but you've got, you know, Nazi post pieces. And, you know, I named a few other examples. You know, at one point they were selling swastikas through an article. Like, they're doing things that are oh, really yeah. unusual uh, for a paper to do at all, but especially a paper of that stature. And I was rewarded <laughs> with, like, you know, a, a flurry of hit pieces, none of whom quoted anything I'd ever said about the issue in death. You know, I've written about this. I've, I've given long interviews to people like you about this. They just took the, the one tweet. Um, I never said that the New York Times was staffed by Nazis or had a Nazi agenda. I said it, it had a white supremacist agenda, because, you know, it, it does. <laughs> and then, of course, today, um, they actually are going with a, you know, open Nazi sympathizer as an not that columnist, and so now my inbox is just full of apology emails, and like, wow, you know, I, I thought you were, like, you know, off the rails or whatever, but unfortunately you were right, and I'm just, you know, I kind of figured, because it's like the New York Times has been going this direction for a long time, so I, you know, I didn't bother to respond to... The pieces out there, I'm like, you know, I, I hope I'm wrong. It would be great, uh, if they, if they change what they're doing, if they go in a different direction, Um, then, you know, I'll just be wrong and that's fine. Uh, I didn't think I was wrong. I thought they were going to get progressively worse and, uh, they did. They're, they're being much more open about it, you know, and as for why they're doing that, um, why they would want to hire somebody who associates with Nazis and, you know, with basically excuses, you know, these really hateful ideologies and, uh, you know, ways of viewing other people. I, I don't know why they would want... To do that, um, you know, it baffles me as much as it baffles other people. The only consistency to what they do is that it protects, uh, Trump, whether it's lying about the Russia investigation, whether it's about mainstreaming, um, white supremacy, whether it's about, uh, downplaying sexual assault, you know, making it seem as if the, the victims of sexual assault are some kind of wild mob that's not letting any man just, you know, hold the door open for you or something. Mm-hmm. You know, they're trying to, to restructure everything. So So that it basically gets... Trump off the hook, because he is a white supremacist, he is a sexual assaulter, and he's involved, obviously, in the Russia uh, scandal. And so when you combine everything you are doing, there does seem to be some kind of objective, or, you know, but it's why they would want to do that uh, is really strange, um, especially because they do have good, they do still have some good people there. You know, like Charles Blow is very good. Uh, some of their investigative reporters, especially on environmental issues, are very good. Like, I don't know what those folks are, how... How they live with this, like what they make of it, um, because they're not allowed to speak about it. That's part of their contract. They're basically forbidden from critiquing the paper. There's no public editor, so we don't get feedback in that respect. And the whole situation is, is extremely strange.
0: Well, and yeah, I don't. And, and you know, I, I uh, expect more of them because I uh, you know I respect the New York Times. Like you said, they have good journalists. They've done stories. I've I've been you know uh, pra- that have been praiseworthy. I I, I think they've done good things in their history, but then when I see something like you mentioned, you know, the Me Too movement, and you know, then we have uh, Brett Stevens uh, swooping in mm. to defend the honor of Woody Allen, and it's like, I don't know what we're playing at here, you know?
1: Like, yeah, well, uh, exactly. like why would you want to defend you know, the worst people, the cruelest people, you know, and, and that rhetoric has consequences, like it's crazy, there's like this clip of me that went viral on the internet where I was basically telling off a Breitbart editor um, at a conference in Dead Mark, about how, you know, it's not just words. Like, you know, hate crimes rise as a result of this. Like, people get hurt as a result of this. Kids get bullied. And I could say all those same things uh, unfortunately to the New York Times that I said to Breitbart in the past because they're really, you know, going in that direction. And, you know, of course, it's not universal. It's not every article. But it's enough. It's enough that, you know, people notice it and they're wondering what the hell happened here. Like, why would you do this? And I, you know, I I don't get it. I'd love to hear from somebody there, you know, who does still seem to have a conscience uh, to see how they would explain this and how they feel about it. I'm curious, but I have a feeling they can't speak out. So. Sure.
0: Yeah, but, I, I mean, I, I can't imagine that you were you were surprised, you would be surprised if this was Breitbart, but this isn't Breitbart, at least I thought it wasn't, you know what I mean? So it's like, I don't yeah. expect you to act this way, you know, or, or I mean, yeah.
1: they've always had issues, you know, they had their issues with the war in Iraq and the Mm run-up to Judith Miller. So they had issues with truth. They certainly had issues with racism. I mean, I'll never forget on the day of Michael Brown's funeral, you know, waking up to that article saying he was no angel and just thinking about his parents and hoping that they didn't see that. Um, But you know, that unfortunately it doesn't excuse it, but that that's pretty typical in American life. Like that's something you see a lot. That's just ingrained structural racism you know, especially towards young black man, that you see all the time. But something like defending a pedophile or defending a Nazi, you know, again, like, <laughs> we have more examples. We have, you know, Woody Allen to add to Roy Moore and, um, you know, another Nazi uh, to add to the Times roster today. That's, that's new. It's like you're trying to find the absolute worst elements of humanity and make them seem not so bad. And the only, you know, sort of pragmatic reason I could see from kind of a propaganda angle is that you have one of the worst... Americans uh, to get involved in politics and history currently occupying the White House and an awful lot of terrible other people in that White House, and maybe you want to make them not seem so bad either. You need to shift the whole political culture in a different direction for any of this to seem normal and acceptable. But I don't know. I don't know whether they'll really achieve that, because I do think people just have common sense, and uh, you know, I live in a racist state, but they're still not really down with the Nazis, <laughs> you know, they're not like wanting to put swastikas on, and uh, they're they're less tolerant of Nazis than the New York Times, so that's an interesting phenomenon.
0: Oh yeah, for sure. Um, well, you know, speaking of the Me Too movement, uh, we had the whole Rob Porter uh, scandal that, that continues to rage on, and it, what was the speechwriter that also resigned in the same week there, um, for the similar domestic abuse, uh, situation. And, and you know, we had, uh, Christopher Ray from the, uh, FBI basically blowing up the White House's, uh, timeline of, of events. Um, I, I, just feel like the White House and, and everyone else is, is kind of bending over backwards to try to, to defend this or, or try to cover it up. Um, you know, how was he allowed anywhere in the, or these like state secrets when he couldn't pass a, a background check is, is what I'm wondering
1: so. Yeah, no, I just wrote an op-ed about that today. It's not out yet, um, but hopefully it'll be out in the next uh, few days about that very issue. Like, how did he, you know, pass a background check? They were about to promote him. Mm -hmm. You know, he didn't even have a background check for the job he held. Uh, He couldn't even pass that, and they were going to give him even more responsibility and even more access to classified info. Uh, And I think this is a huge danger. You know, it's a danger with him. It's a danger with Kushner. It's a danger with Trump. You know, you see a lot of people who are you know immoral and unethical who have shady pasts which makes them susceptible to blackmail and who don't seem to have any particular loyalty to this country or you know certainly not a desire to serve it and what i've been kind of wondering you know because this is like a revolving door white house i think they have a turnover rate of about 34% you know like much much higher than a typical administration what are all these people doing with all the se- state secrets and information that they picked up on the job cuz they don't Honor the typical norms of governance. You know, they don't honor it when they're inside. For me to imagine that they come out and are honoring it outside when there's this rich market in state secrets, when you have organizations like WikiLeaks, you know, or other, um, you know, anti U.S. or, you know, non state actors or even state actors that will pay uh, for this kind of information. I wonder what they're all up to. I mean, we know that what Manafort does, you know, Mm -hmm. what he's done his whole life is to go and, you know, peddle this kind of information to different people. And he did that while he was on the Trump campaign. You know, he was offering his services in 2016 while on Trump's staff to Oleg Deripaska because he was able to, to get more information because he was part of that campaign and, you know, in the center of it all. Um, and so I'm imagining, you know, like, what's Michael Flynn been doing? What's Michael Flynn Jr. been doing? Like, what have all these, you know, Bannon and Gorka and all these other terrible people been doing and who have they been talking to? And so I kind of envision, you know, a broader national security crisis down the road um, because Because all these different actors will you know, are possibly engaging with people who are against our country. Uh, and we don't have a national security establishment that can really fight it because Trump himself is against having that, you know, he's against the intelligence community. Uh, he's against any kind of strong defense. Um, and so that's alarming. I, I don't know how that will exactly play out because, you know, it's a new problem and also the whole digital element of it, I think, you know, makes it different than anything before as well.
0: Right. And while- I mean, Bannon was on the National Security Council for a time. I mean, mm-hmm. I, you know, and, and this is why I think you're, you probably mentioned this before, but, you know, this is why people in these uh, types of situations put their family members like Kushner in, in places of power. It's not because they're particularly, you know, competent or, or good at any kind of job you're going to give them. It's that, you know, they'll be loyal if push push comes to shove, you know, that they'll uh, circle the wagons when need be. And, you know, that's that's how it works in these kind of situations, it's, it's how you keep it together, you know? You, you don't let yeah. outsiders in, so... Uh.
1: And that's a huge thing for Trump, is that loyalty oath. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and that was th- true when he was a private citizen, when he was a, you know, quote, businessman as well, But it's like a mafia-style loyalty oath. It's, you know, Omerta basically, and, you know, intimidation. And yeah, you know, that's absolutely why he installed his family. That was, you know, one of the first things he did that got me really worried. I mean, I was very worried just in general. But I was kind of hoping, like, maybe he would hold back from the, like, sort of playbook dictator rules. But, like, installing your children in the administration, especially when you are notorious for running, you know, money laundering schemes and whatnot, is just such a, like, you know, Azerbaijan, Kazakhstan kind of, you know, move. Um, And he did. And that is why they're there. Like, they don't actually have... Jobs, um, They're just there as a backup, and I think to help kind of, you know, move certain processes along, they have their own international uh, relationships with different countries and with their own businesses, with the Trump brand, with, you know, Kushner's real estate holdings and money problems. Uh, you know, I think they're they're trying to work out privately a whole bunch of things. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's frightening. It's, it's basically a mafia family uh, who are using, you know, the executive branch as an ETM. And, you know, that's obviously not good. I don't know how long that's going to last. I wish uh, Mueller would hurry up. Um, but I've been saying that for a year, so <laughs> I you don't know, think right? it's going to happen.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I, I at least gl- I'm at least glad that people are starting to wise up to the fact that uh, Ivanka isn't going to save us. And uh, she was oh, never the uh, mitigating uh, voice of reason or whatever people tried to say she was uh, at the beginning. Uh, people don't even, I, I haven't seen many think pieces lately about her swooping in to save the day, so I think maybe people have gotten it through their heads that, you know, she's not really the, uh, you know, the savior we all, you know, or not we all, I never thought, but, you know, some people thought right. she
1: was. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing that people thought that, um, you know, because there's there's just no reason to. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think, I mean, I guess to some extent, it's like, you know, she can't help being the daughter of Donald Trump, uh, so, you know, maybe people are cutting her slack like, oh, she's just doing what her dad wants her now. but still, it's like, people treat them like they're children, you know, they're my they're in their 30s. Mm-hmm. Like, they're adults. They can make decisions. They can decide whether they want to participate in a criminal enterprise or a kleptocracy, uh, and they should pay the consequences for when they make that kind of decision. Um, you know, I'm also seeing, finally, that people are understanding, you know, John Kelly is not a force for mm-hmm. good. You know, like, he, he may have fought honorably in the military, but, you know, he's xenophobic. He's racist. He protects very bad employees. He, you know, attacks other, you know, people, um, and generally is, you know, doing Trump's bidding. He's really not that different from a typical Republican. Uh, I think there's a lot of false hopes placed on him, that somehow he was there to, like, keep Trump in line and, you know, keep things working, but, you know, he's just as bad in his own way. He's kind of like Pence, you know, he's got his own issues, and they overlap with Trump a lot, and, you know, it doesn't really leave anybody good. Uh, I mean, I guess the best of the bunch is still Mattis, mm-hmm. um, you know, but I'm wearing of him because of all the warmongering going on and you know I I can't quite tell I I think he's smarter than everybody so I think maybe he's smart enough to not like show his cards publicly uh, which the rest of them are not Um, so Mm -hmm. I don't necessarily know what he's privately thinking and you know whether he's able to actually you know trick Trump through (laughs) different means. Yeah
0: I did did appreciate when they had that uh, dear leader uh, round table where they all went around and had to praise him and and Mike Pence basically uh, just started worshiping him like he was some sort of golden calf. Uh, that was that was a surprising even for him. But um, in that in that moment, uh, Mattis, I did notice. Uh, diverted and and praised the troops or whatever so it seemed like he was you know he was smart enough to make it sound complimentary but he didn't really go the full uh, pence route as it were so.
1: right yeah i think he's he's good he has a better understanding of propaganda and language than mm-hmm. i think a lot of people give him credit for you know they think of him as like military guy i think they think of him as a sort of strong and silent type but mm-hmm. you know for what i've seen of him he's actually pretty savvy and like that is the way if you want to try to control trump you need to understand media. You need to understand rhetoric and language. And, you know, maybe there's some chance of it. But there's a part of me that just thinks anyone who's willing to sign up and work with this administration, um, you know, especially at this point in time, uh, is, is not a good person. Like, you know, and at the same time, it bothers me because I want good people. Like, yeah. I want somebody to stop this. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I see the resignations from good people, I absolutely understand why they're doing that because, you know, you're put in a position where you're you're serving a proto you know fascist regime. You're certainly serving a racist and xenophobic regime that goes against constitutional values. So I don't know how you would wake up and live with yourself, but you know it's probably a very difficult decision for them because then they also think, well, you know, how do I live with not? trying to fight it from the inside or whatever they were trying to do but uh, you know, the long run of that is that I think you know, if they didn't quit I think Trump would eventually purge them anyway I think mm-hmm. they know that um, and so, you know, what he wants is a staff of loyalists, and uh, the longer he's in there, you know, the more likely he is to get that, and the more of that he gets, the, long, <laughs> the longer he's likely to stay, so it kind of feeds itself, uh, mm-hmm. you know, very bad.
0: Right, yeah, and uh, I think one word we didn't define the first time we talked was uh, cacistocracy and I definitely think that's uh, very applicable to the, uh, uh, the the group we've got in there now, um, you know, and, the, and, there, and there's a reason for that, I think you've kind of touched on that before, but it's like, like these people would not be anywhere near power lest unless they were next to to Trump I mean there's no way Ben Carson would be a cabinet position member uh, like except for the fact that Trump is president so like like they right. owe their entire you know what their entire platform to the fact that they're near him and it's like these these are the absolute last people that you would want you know it's like the Fox guarding the henhouse or whatever
1: so right yeah I mean it's weirdly similar to to how uh, the Apprentice works, <laughs> oh, how gosh. Celebrity Apprentice works, you know, where Trump picks D-listers kind of out of nowhere, like mm-hmm. people who really shouldn't be on TV and have no qualifications for the job they're doing, and makes them do jobs, and then fires them every now and again. Like it's, it's like he's living this on some national level. But yeah, you know, initially I didn't really use that word. Um, you know, hackocracy. Oh, um, people sometimes think that I coined it, or not coined it because it's a real word, but that I'm the one who brought it into play. I, I said kleptocracy. Just like more specific reason, just because I felt like it's a subjective term, but yeah, the way you you pointed out that these people would not be in there, um, you know, if it weren't for Trump, and then of course some of them were hired, I think, to dismantle the departments that they were well, sure. theoretically yeah, supposed course. to lead, is another indicator that, like, yeah, it's, I think it's it's a more objective term. There really sure. isn't anyone good in there except possibly you know Mattis, who you know who at least has proven. He, you know is qualified for the position he's in everyone else no and you know i gotta say like when i look at you know 2020 not like i'm really thinking about that that much with the presidential election because i think too much is going to happen in between then and now but you know i'm keeping track of people's voting records and seeing who confirmed all these assholes and who didn't and then keeping that in mind as i kind of watch people's political progress you know
0: yeah and and it's very frustrating to see the democrats cave on certain things like that like our Remember, didn't Elizabeth Warren vote for Betsy DeVos? As I remember, didn't she cave on I that? And think
1: so? She yeah. caved on somebody. I'm not sure if that's who it was. Like, I
0: mean, I mean, the, you, you see this happen again and again, and, and it's like they—they're not gonna, you know, they're bringing a knife to a gunfight, and they, yeah. they think they're gonna teach the Republicans about civility, and, and they just don't care. They're like you said, they're acting as if there's no consequences, and if right. they keep this up, there may not be because there's not gonna be anyone to hold them accountable. But you know, I think the Democrats need to start, you know, they're, they're the only uh, force that can stop this, and they need to stop acting like this is politics as usual. Um, you know, and in, in, in 2018, do you think the main thing needs to be impeachment? Do you think that's just what they need to run on, or do you think that's a um, losing issue? They can run
1: more? on a lot of things. Sure. I mean, It's always weird to me, like when, I'm not saying you do this, but sometimes I see this whole, like, you know, should the Democrats bring up Russia, or should they bring up healthcare? I'm like, you bring up both. Sure. You know, and honestly, they're connected in a lot of ways, because a lot of this is about Corruption, and it's about you know the taking of wealth by a small group of extremely corrupt people, you know, away from taxpayers uh, who are you know entitled to that, who are entitled to have you know basic social services provided for them by the government, because that's why they're being taxed. So, you know, I, I think it's good to address everything. You know, I'm always a fan of any kind of campaign, you know that focuses on you know local and state needs and is driven by people from inside rather than from kind of a grand national level i think that that works better you know you got to play to different audiences um i i also just think it's so hard to tell what kind of world we're going to be living in by then like whether we're in world war 3 whether you know nuclear war uh, has happened or devices have been mm-hmm. used um what's going to be happening you know in terms of technology like it changes so quickly it, it's just so hard to say but you know, I, I think the Democrats should at least make a strong moral case. Um, You know, I think they should emphasize, you know, the most vulnerable, the most, you know, the people who have suffered most under this, make sure that they're there for them. Um, You know, don't be shy about just saying that something is wrong, you know, something is cruel, and that people deserve more, you know, that it's mm-hmm. not crazy to ask for $15 an hour wage, you know, and it's not crazy to ask for, you know, you to not be, shot on the street because you're black. Like, that's not identity politics. That's right. You know, all these things are rights that we are, you know, constitutionally granted. And there's all this, like, hemming and hawing about, oh, you know, we can't be too extreme on the economy, or we can't talk about, you know, the the of identity politics. No, just, you know, be compassionate. Don't be an asshole. I mean, like that's Mm my advice for them. Like, if if you're a decent person and you're sincere about wanting to solve this, I, I think people will pick up on that Um, and and just speak plainly and if they're going to criticize Trump just freaking lay it on the line you know Mm -hmm. it's not a normal administration like there's no sense in pretending that it is this is not you know like Mitt Romney you're running against so I think they just need to be really blunt because people know when they're getting fed bullshit you know Mm -hmm. and they know when things are really screwed up and weird so if you start acting like everything's normal then they don't trust you because they're like well you don't get it you're acting like you know, everything's kind of cool, and mm-hmm. we're just doing a regular old Democratic run. That's not going to work. Um, so I just think they just need to be honest and compassionate, and, you know, hopefully uh, we won't be in too much of a disaster that we can't, you know, figure a way out of it by then. Mm-hmm.
0: For sure. And, you know, I, I think the, uh, the I mean, he's basically giving them everything they need to run on just handing it to them, and they, they just need to use it. I mean, if you want to look uh, no further than the uh, budget that he revealed today um, with this oh. ridiculous, ridiculous uh blue apron style service that is going to supposedly replace food stamps and give you like half what you get now and you don't get any fresh fruits and vegetables um you know and 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 canceling student loan forgiveness it's like you know trump is supposed to be this populist and man of the people and oh the american carnage and the forgotten man and it's like when are the when are people gonna you know in his base maybe they never will but it's like you know made me think of that you know johnny rotten quote you know you ever get the feeling you've been cheated you know (laughs) like you're, when are you going to yeah. realize you've, you know, been conned? People, like, wake up, you yeah. know. And Democrats just need to run on that kind of stuff because I think people do want. You know, it's not free stuff. You pay into this. I no, mean, don't you're paying for it. Don't call it entitlements. It's earned yeah. benefits. You know what I mean? Like, like I get Social Security taken out of my check. That's not an entitlement. Right. I'm not entitled to that. I paid for it. You know, give it to me. You know what I mean? Right. Like, and I
1: also think you know sometimes it's harder for older people, but I think younger people, by which I mean basically anyone. in are like 45 or so, like, Mm -hmm. have spent most of their adult lives in a, you know, declining economy or an incredibly screwed up economy if you're, you know, like, 30 or younger. Like, you've never, you know, seen anything other than stagnating and falling wages. You know, you've never been in a position where, you know, having a steady job and buying a house isn't some kind of fantasy. And so I think younger people are more willing to accept, you know, that if they need government help or that if somebody is poor and struggling, that it's not their fault, you know, that they have tried to do things right. You know, they went to school, they work hard, they're sometimes working two jobs and they still can't pay their bills. I think older people have a harder time grasping that uh, because they grew up in a different era where there was, you know, more opportunities, it was easier to get by. Um, but then, you know, when it happens to them, when it happens to their kids, you know, they, they go two ways. They either become more empathetic, um, you know, towards others who are in the same plight, or it starts to, you know, divide usually along racial lines. You know, we've seen mm-hmm. this throughout history, like that kind of economic condition is often a precursor to fascism. And I've certainly seen it, you know, in Missouri, like when there's been the um, fast food strikes, uh, mm-hmm. which are mostly, you know, black workers. Mm-hmm. And I've talks to white workers who are just like, how dare they demand 15 an hour? You know, I work as like a security guard and I make 12 or something like that. And I'm like, well, what if everyone was making right. more? Like, would that be better? And they're like, yeah, that would be better, but that's not what they want. They want, you know, a special thing. And it becomes this mentality because people don't talk to each other. Uh, they don't know, you know, what life is actually like. It's a shared thing. And it's hard to get through that impasse. Um, but, you know, I worry that that's something Trump's going to exploit. Like, if he does pass this budget, if people are you know receiving horrible packages of prepackaged you know inedible food and you know their kids are hungry, that they may not lash out at Trump, who is who they should lash out at they may lash out at who are the most vulnerable people in their community, which is usually immigrants and and non white people um mm-hmm. you know that's something that i've I've worried about that. For a while, and you know, hopefully, it already has come to pass to some degree. But I, I hope it doesn't accelerate.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. And you know, if you ever look at the comments section, which you shouldn't do, but in, in like uh, in like articles and stuff, if if you see somebody like cheating on like uh, food stamps or or selling food stamps, you just the most vitriolic comments, and it's like these are not the people keeping you down. I promise you, like yeah. the, this is not why you don't have the things that you want in your life. This is the somebody who's just maybe a little less, you know, well off than you. Trying trying to survive, and it's like, this is not the person keeping you down, but it's like just pit people against each other, and they'll never look up and realize what's happening, you know, above them, so. Yeah.
1: But. No, it's it's very frustrating, you know, it's it's very sad to see, and, and the other thing is, is, like, this has been going on you know, a long time, like, we're now almost on the 10th anniversary of the crash, um, mm. you know, and I know that things haven't recovered here, you know, in Missouri, and right. it's been 10 years, and so, you know, to a lot of people, including me. You know, I kind of look to the future and don't see one. Like, I can't picture I can't picture anymore what, like, normal is supposed to be. I mean, for a variety of reasons, not just economy, but because of Trump and all these other things. Uh, But I think when you lose that sense of the future, uh, you know, in certain people, it can instill panic and, you know, as Star Wars says, you know, fear leads to anger, anger leads to hate. I mean, it's true. It's a very accurate progression of how things go. Um, And, you know, that kind of fear is very strong Right now, and so you know, I do worry about how that's going to play out.
0: See, I knew we'd get to depressing.
1: Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm reliable in that sense, yeah.
0: for sure. Well, um, hey, you know, I mean, the Olympics are going on, and uh, I couldn't let this occasion pass without noting the supreme irony irony of uh, Mike Pence not standing for the uh, combined Korean national anthem. When you know, I'm, I'm here in Indianapolis, outside of Indianapolis, right now, and, and he flew specifically here to uh, throw a hissy fit at the Colts uh, game. So. I I just couldn't let that uh, pass without noting that, so I guess anthem anthem protests are okay if you're the vice president, so.
1: Yeah, Um. I guess so. I mean, all that stuff, I just sort of tuned the Olympics out. I'm like, not so much a sports person, but I'm also just like, oh God, the politics of this, like, I need a break. I need Mm -hmm. to just, like, you know, watch crap on Netflix or something. Yeah, (laughs) right. not watch anything that's happening in real time anymore.
0: Well, exactly, and you know, we we kind of, we talked about the Nazi Next Door profile, and, and you know, not that these are the same groups, but, you know, I have seen people seemingly fall for this uh, charm offensive by the North Korean government, and uh, you know, it's like, you know, okay, well, you know, Kim Jong-un's sister's uh, charming or whatever, but this is still, like, a a nightmare George Orwell state, and let's not forget that. I don't think we should start a nuclear war over it, but let's not pretend that they're, you know, some charming neighbor that we just discovered or something right Right. away, so. um. It's
1: maddening, like, I remember after Trump was elected, and, you know, who were asking me for, like, advice about journalism, and I said, you know, one thing you should do is, like, get journalists who work um, in authoritarian states and semi-authoritarian states, especially those who, you know, have been citizens or are citizens, to talk to journalists in the United States, to explain how this works, to explain how reporting works, you know, and how to not be tricked by governments into becoming, you know, their inadvertent propaganda tool. Um, And I was also thinking, you know, because I do have friends um, from countries, you know, like Azerbaijan or, you know, my friends from Uzbekistan, mostly had to leave Uzbekistan, but, you know, they, they often are struggling, like, people romanticize dissent, but, you know, their struggle for work, and i was thinking, you know, this could be really useful, like, they could help train the American journalists on what to look out for, but, you know, that that didn't happen. It was <laughs> um, like another one of my ideas with bring back local journalism that people were just kind of like, what oh, is i just write about the Nazi instead. Um, you know, but I wish that they had. I wish people had taken some guidance because, you know, m- my friends who live in, uh repressive countries have just seen these tricks all the time, you know, seeing people fall for, you know, honestly, like the Ivanka Trump types. It's very typical, like the dictator has a daughter, has some sort of, like, you know, beautiful woman in the family. They bring them out just to sort of soften stuff up. And that's what's happening with North Korea. Um, and, you know, yeah, of course, you know, it's like... Yeah, I don't want a war, but, you know, get some perspective, for God's mm-hmm. sakes. Like, is this in a good place?
0: Is there somewhere in between war and, and, and drooling adulation that we can get to? Just just find somewhere in between there. <laughs> that's what I want.
1: Yeah, exactly. But, yeah, I mean, you're
0: right. I mean, I, and I think you, you had a, a tweet uh, or a thread that you t- retweeted about how, uh, you know, living in an authoritarian country, it, it's not all, uh, you know, it, it, it people think that, you know, you, you'd notice it day to day, but it's like, it's that's why they call it creepy authoritarianism. It creeps up on you. It's not, you know, it's it's one thing and then it's the next. It's it's the frog in the boiling water or whatever. So it's like, you know, you don't necessarily notice it. It's not all right away. And, you know, you have to kind of note these things as they happen. Um, you know, that's kind of why I like, uh, is it Amy Siskind that does that list every good, week? Good. Yeah, that's yeah. perfect. Like, I love that. Like, it's like, yeah, don't, don't let this stuff pass by. It seems minor at the time. It seems petty. It seems like, oh, don't, you know, every little thing don't note it but like if you look back like look like, at we'll what we're talking about right now uh, you know yeah. this is you know this is two years ago I, I don't even think I would imagine talking about these things right now you know no and so, I'm sure
1: if we played like all the interviews back to back there's like probably a steady progression into like
0: oh my God. really
1: horrific stuff oh, by the way, I can't remember if I mentioned it on the show before but um, Amy's lists are going to be a book uh, called The List and I wrote the introduction for it oh did you it's that's cool out, I didn't know that and, awesome um, yeah cool. and, and late March it's coming out so people should uh, pick that up because oh my God when you see them all together <laughs> I mean, it's, it's hard it's like don't don't read it in one sitting but it's really good to kind of bring yourself back to like you know inauguration time and sort of think well what were our standards of normal life then and like what was thought of as an outrageous event because unfortunately so many things she documented have become uh, you know a routine part of our lives and it's like exactly what you described you know where the, the frogs in the water I mean we are Right now, uh, but when you see it written out, you can at least kind of bring yourself back to that point in time when you were shocked. You know, I mean, I think people are still outraged. You know, they wouldn't be out on the streets if they weren't outraged, but, but they we're not shocked anymore. You know, and you lose a little bit of yourself in that way, you know, yeah. and that's, that's one of the hardest things to prevent from happening.
0: So. Yeah. And, um, you know, I look forward to the time when, you know, if there is a time when Trump isn't president anymore. Uh, but I think people are under the illusion, and, and I guess I was under this illusion, at least in the beginning of, the, of it, that, you know, things will snap back into place. But, you know, there's there's certain things that are, that are just... They're they're broken. They won't come back. Yeah. You know, like you know this whole thing with Devin Nunez and and the. Uh, by the way, what is he doing anywhere near this uh, investigation? That's another issue. But um, he's on the transition <laughs> team, and he was supposed to be, uh, you know, recused or whatever. And now he's he's doing this. Yeah. But um, you know, but they're never gonna. I mean, why would anyone give them the House Intelligence Committee? Uh, you know, anything? You know, why would they give him any information at this point? They know they're gonna. You know, possibly turn it into a politicized. Uh, memo or something or some ridiculous leak or something and it's like that's that's gone like we're not going to get that back and and that's something that's broken so like yes we may be able to recover some things but not everything
1: (laughs) yeah like if we're able to get stuff back it's going to take so long Um, you know there's a part of me that thinks okay maybe when there's some retirements and people you know who have grudges are able I don't know I mean that's only if we manage to get Trump out and you know once an autocrat gets in it's very hard to mm-hmm. get them out, and I think we're more likely to have some kind of horrible, flicker replacement of him, you know, and I'm hoping that's not the direction that we go, uh, but, you know, we need to be more forceful in it. But, yeah, I mean, there are things that just aren't the same. It, it reminds me of you know how I felt after 9-11, you mm-hmm. know, where I kind of looked back at that pre-9-11 period and everything. I You know, and I lived in New York when that happened, so oh. it was, like, very direct wow. uh, for me, you know, and I was walking around seeing all the missing persons posters mm-hmm and, you know, seeing the smoke and, um, you know, it's obviously upsetting for everyone, but, you know, when you're there, it's like, oh my God. And, you know, and I kept thinking like everything will feel different from now on. Um, you know, the sense of threat will never go away and it, you know, and it kind of, did go away, or at least it was replaced by other concerns. Um, but you know, I, I missed that time before, and you know, I felt that way after the economic crash, and I felt that way after Trump. Like there's just these events where you know your country just it just changes, and it'll never go back. And like the best you could hope for is that it just turns into something better. Um, it's gonna be something different, but you know maybe it could actually be good. It just will never be what's before, and so you know you sort of have to mourn it uh, a little bit. You know, I know I do. I. Try try to not think about it too much because it can seem too sad, but mm-hmm. uh, it's inevitable. So. Ugh,
0: Dios mio, how am I going to, how's my liver going to survive this? That's <laughs> all <laughs> <Yeah>, right. <laughs> uh, well, have been to any good caves lately?
1: <laughs> what?
0: Have been to any good caves lately?
1: <laughs> oh, no, but I, I've got a plan, so yeah, I'm, I'm psyched. I think in March, um, you know, in honor of uh, Roy Moore not being elected, <laughs> we're going to Alabama for a little, like, <laughs> Mini vacation, and there's a cave there that I want to go to. Oh, we're gonna go, cool. But, um, you know, I've never been, so we're going to go to, you know, Selma and Montgomery and maybe down to the beach. Uh, you know, my kids are off from school, and I can kind of drive from St. Louis and, you know, see how Alabama is. So I'm going to go be an Alabama tourist. That's my plan.
0: Awesome. Well, I mean, whatever happens, you know, like you said before, uh, you know, the important part is you just have to keep going, and it doesn't matter really what the outcome is. You know, we're, we're we're both parents yeah. we have kids we can't give up it's not really an option yeah. it's not really like i want to give up all the time and curl into a ball but it just doesn't oh, look yeah. like that
1: so no um. absolutely i've had a lot of those days like this last month my god but yeah i mean there's not you know i mean not there's not much you can do but you just got to kind of get up and roll with it and, you know the thing is is like i've known people have been through much worse you know mm-hmm. i know people have lived in real authoritarian uh regimes you know who've been jailed, who've endured all these hardships. And, you know, um, there's nothing fun about it. There's nothing romantic about it, but, you know, they were able to survive it and it did have meaning and purpose um, for other people. They were able to help other people. So, uh, you know, I just hope, like, you know, we're able to do that and at the least just, you know, be good role models for our kids, um, you know, for younger people to not, you know, give in, not just kind of roll over like a Republican or something, but actually, you know, stand up for yourself, stand up for your country sure uh, that kind of thing yeah I mean you you can
0: at least be proud that you know when you know if there is a future of course but if if in the future uh, we look back you know you can at least be proud of what you did when it came down to it and and you definitely can't say that for everyone so
1: yeah um, no that's true and you know you can sleep with some clear conscience I mean that's all you can kind of strive for these days I think you know there's got to be more that I could be doing but then I'm like I'm so freaking tired I don't know know what else it is but you
0: know, and I'm potty well. training my three-year-old, and I'm not getting. Oh, oh my God, that's like hell. That
1: that is literally the worst part of being a parent. Like everyone says, newborn, but it's not. No. It's age three potty training, and it. Sorry, my kids extended to age four. Or they're going to kill me that I freaking said this.
0: <laughs> okay, maybe well, our kids well, that won't be it. so proud what of us after they hear like, this part wait. of the podcast. But.
1: Oh man, that was that was hard. So yeah, if you're fighting a dictator and you're potty training your thrilled, then you know my heart goes out to you. <laughs> so,
0: exactly. <laughs> it's like, Trump's ruining America, and you just did that on the floor. Why?
1: Oh, yeah. No, I'm not easy. I mean, mine are both, you know, they're in elementary school, they're older, all that's in the distant past, thank God. But, yeah, no, that's a tough, that's a tough age. There's no terrible two. There's just terrible three. That's so, right. That's what I've been saying. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right. Oh, yeah, they're, they're deranged. And actually, Trump gives you some practice. It's like, you know, mentality, <laughs> similarity, some kind of logic, you know?
0: Don't insult my children. They're way better than me. yeah. Yeah, sorry, sorry. <laughs> Even my eight month old. <laughs> but anyway. Uh, well, uh, hey, I appreciate you coming back on. I like what you do, of course, and, and everybody uh, listening, I'm sure, does too. So um, thank you so well, much. Thanks for
1: having me. Yeah. Okay. Have a good night. You <laughs> right, too. Bye. Bye.
0: If you enjoy this podcast, there are several ways to support it. Join the Rob Burgess Show mailing list. Go to tinyletter.com forward slash the Rob Burgess Show and type in your email address. Then respond to the automatic message. I have a Patreon account, which can be found at patreon.com forward slash Rob Burgess Show Patreon. I hope you'll consider supporting in any amount. Also, please make sure to comment, follow, like, subscribe, share, rate, and review everywhere the podcast is available, including iTunes, YouTube, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Facebook, Twitter, Internet Archive, TuneIn, and RSS. The official website for the podcast is www.therobburgesshow.com. You can find out more about me by visiting my website, www.thisburgess.com. And if you have something to say, record a voice memo on your smartphone and send it to the Rob show at gmail.com. Include voice memo in the subject line of the email. Until next time.